Mini episode 1087 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode number 1087. This is the FDH Lounge 12th anniversary segment, and you have with you today two FDH Lounge original dignitaries for the occasion, Rick Morris and Chris Galloway. And I want to get into how we decided what was going to be the topic of discussion today. Actually, in the end, it was Chris's decision, but how we moved from that that every time we get into one of these anniversary situations or you know, mini episode 500, 1,000, whatever, we always aim for a big guest. Uh, we have a big guest coming up, uh, Liz Clayman, but it wasn't going to happen in time for the show's 12th anniversary. So sometimes a celebration of some of our greatest moments, we've done that. And sometimes something quintessentially FDH Lounge, just come up with another segment and invention of this show, of which I'm proud to say we've had many over a period of time. It's a show that has had uh, a real evolution over a period of time from what was, and uh, I really enjoyed and I, I really cherish the roots of it. It started as sort of a pure ensemble among about six of us, and then uh, the demands of people's lives, it, it kind of went to a little bit more of a top-down kind of a thing. I have remained constant. We've expanded the base of dignitaries so that we're not uh, overworking anybody at any one given point in time. But uh, we have, uh, wherever possible in my estimation as executive producer, tried to remain true to some of the ensemble roots of this. And when I look at the show, at the same time, the way that the show has kind of evolved, I know I made this observation during the 10th anniversary discussion with Jason Jones two years ago, that the show has almost become in a weird kind of a way, it might sound odd to describe it this way, almost sort of an alter ego for me, because this is a show where nothing is off topic. And uh, I, I've always said, I don't know that I'm 100% in any one area in life as far as knowledge or interest or whatever, but I'm probably 80 or 90% in more areas than most people. And that comes in handy for doing this show. And of all the dignitaries we have, my man Chris Galloway is probably right there with me in that regard as far as a lot of different areas and, and his interest in and uh, knowledge of a lot of different areas. So we were already going to be recording right about this point in time here on uh, the present status of the Cleveland Browns. Spoiler alert, that's a great segment. But uh, I indicated to him, I said, look, since we're going to be doing this, uh, you are my choice of people to work with here on this anyways. And I, I basically, I, I went, I utilized, I think, one of my strengths on this show as an executive producer is I find my, I consider myself to be a very good point guard, and I'm very good at throwing lob passes. So I chucked the lob pass up at the hoop at him, and I just basically said, I trust you to come up with something. If we're looking at the era of the FDH Lounge, January 14th, 2007, through this anniversary, 2019, on January 14th, 
what's the one predominant thing you're thinking of? What is an area that we should be talking about and discussing on the show where nothing is off topic that is a bigger topic than anything else we've seen over the course of the last 12 years? And uh, as I predicted, Chris came up with a great segment. And uh, I, I think uh, the way that he was outlining it to me, we couldn't have done better for subject matter. So uh, I've thrown up the lob, my man. You slam it home. Well, thank you, Rick, and thanks for the invitation to uh, join you again. I, uh, when, you threw the, when you posed this question to me um, the other day, I was certainly intrigued by it and started to really think about the different things in the last 12 years that have emerged in um, sports, entertainment, uh, technology, our lives, geopolitical, um, uh, you know, financial industry, uh, economics. I kept coming back to different, you know, elements. Which one of those things in those different segments was the most impactful, the biggest, the biggest story. And um, in the end, I decided on the one topic that connects all of them. And that is the rise of social media. Uh, certainly when FDH Lounge first went on the air, it was social media already existed. You know, there was MySpace, there was, I don't know, Friendster, there was some, you know, obviously bulletin boards, people, message boards, people were doing um, in, um, you know, early, mid-early uh, internet. But by the time FDH came on board with the growth of, Facebook at that time, switching over from uh, college campus uh, participation only, meaning anyone with a .edu email address, and then opening it up to the entire world, um, that has been the greatest um, expansion, the greatest explosion in terms of human activity that touches all of those things. Sports, geopolitical, financial, economic, entertainment, um, technology itself, uh, you name it. Social media touches, promotes, hinders every single one of those things. It is the only thing I can think of that has had such a dramatic growth um, and is altering our society and all those segments within our society so dramatically. And so that, to me, has been the most fascinating thing in the last 12 years. To watch social media, obviously the lead dog in that being Facebook, go from being just connecting um, youngsters and kids on campus and college to now having 3 billion plus people connected through social networks, and that's just Facebook. Overall, it may be, you know, 5 to 6 billion people connected through some social media in some format. Um, certainly different regions of the world have some uh, other types of social media that we as Americans don't access. So you have almost an entire planet now connected to one form or another of social media that you did not have 12 years ago. I can tell you when we went on the air with FDH, I didn't have a Facebook in 2007. I didn't have, a, I never had a MySpace or any of those things. The guy, my internet, you know, usage at that point was, you know, some message boards for sports and things. And that was the extent of it. And then obviously going to individual websites like FDH and, you know, Fantasy Draft Help and, you know, individual uh, websites. But social media has accelerated so many things. We have obviously interconnectivity. I personally, got, I mean, I, I opened up my Facebook page in January of 2009. Um, I was going through a divorce and... All my friends said, hey, you should get yourself a Facebook page now that you're, you know, soon to be a single man. And I, my initial reaction was, what is, what is Facebook? I, I don't even know what that is. Um, 
you know, funny story on that. One of the few first people that friended me on Facebook uh, was a was a, a you know an eighty year old woman who I knew. She was already on it. <laughs> so <laughs> um, it shows you how fast you know things can develop. But you know, you you fast forward and you've got the growth of Twitter, Instagram, um, you know, Snapchat. Uh, you know, you, so now you have companies marketing, major companies now mark huge budgets through social media advertising. You have companies that have grown up solely advertising through social media. I'm sure we all see this in our very social media feeds where you see an ad for a company that sells belts or sells just shoes. They don't have a product in the store. They don't have a, um, you know, they don't have commercials on, on, on the TV. You know, they're you know, you've got an operation somewhere that's got that's making a product, a belt, or a custom something, or a backpack, or I don't know, you name it, any kind of product, and they're advertising directly to people on social media, and they're doing that through algorithms and everything that are that are proprietarily designed by these social media platforms. So you're allowing the democratization of the economy, so people that would never have access to broad markets on such an inexpensive manner are now able to. And you even see some success stories where they've managed to go from being a company that started on social media to now being in the stores and being um, having a wider distribution. You have, obviously, the human element. Obviously, people are connecting more and more and more through social media. Uh, Twitter, uh, it's another example. You know, there are, there are people that are uh, tweeting all day long. I mean, going into the geopolitical, we have a president who is a prolific tweeter. He, that's how he communicates with the world. Heck, we've seen that's how he communicates with his own administration. He right. doesn't bring you in, have a discussion with you in the Oval Office and fire you. He tells the whole world at 6.30 a.m., I'm firing this guy. <laughs> so, uh, yep. And then he leaves it up to, you know, to Mike Pompeo to go visit you, James <laughs> Madison, let you know you're fired. Um, so, and then obviously the interaction with that. Well, you have other geopolitical agents, be it countries or agencies, now watching what politicians say do on social media, things like Twitter and Facebook, to read their reaction to what's going on in the real, the real world. You have the elements of foreign actors, Russia, China, using social media to manipulate U.S. voters um, in an effort to influence our opinions and even potentially our elections. I'm sure, and I have no doubt, that U.S. intelligence services do the same in other places. Russia did it with the Brexit vote. Um, they've meddled with Ukraine. Uh, you name it. So, so social media is no longer just talking to your Aunt Sally. You have foreign actors actively using it to tap direct access to your citizenry to influence their opinion to create either change, change opinion, change of representation, um, or otherwise, to a social media platform. That is, to me, mind-boggling, right? It is. Um, you, you have Instagram now, which is, in some ways, becoming more popular than some of the other platforms. You know, my 20-year-old daughter likes to joke that, you know, Facebook, that's where old people are. Uh, you know, Instagram, you have people that have become Instagram stars. They have hundreds of thousands and millions of followers, and they make real money, millions of dollars a year because of the volumes of followers they have. So people promoting products and services through these people and paying them ungodly sums just because, you know, 
you know, uh, Ashley so-and-so's a fitness model, or, you know, Rachel so-and-so, you know, has the seven-minute ab workout. I don't know. But the point being is that you have people that previously, back to the democratization of the financial element of this, you have people that, you know, they're not in the hubs of New York or L.A. You know, they live in a home in New Mexico, and, you know, she's got... 800,000 followers, and she makes $14,000 a month on Instagram. That's all she does, you know? Yeah. Um, she didn't have to move to L.A. to be a star, quote-unquote. Now, a lot of them obviously do. They still gravitate to the coast for what, whatever reasons. But you have people now becoming political powers because of their ability to tweet and gain a lot of followers, influencing public officials through social media because... They, you know, hell, they might be living in their mom's basement in Tulsa, but they've got 800,000 followers on some, you know, left-wing blog, you know, some left-wing, you know, stuff. So now they're they're an influencer. Um, it has been dynamic, and it has changed the game um, from the large to the small. Um, the promotion of technologies, the, the flow of information. Most people now under 40 are getting most of their news and information through social media. Not that you know, not news networks, not not newspapers and traditional means. Um, it's now social media, um, which is of course allowed for the proliferation of you know, quote unquote, fake news. It allows people to create absolute fiction and sell it off as truth. We've all seen the fake, the photo that someone says is X, but it really was a picture from 14 years ago, and it has nothing to do with. They claim, and it gets spread around the internet, and all kinds of rooms buy into it and say, yeah, I'm against that, or oh, I'm for that, because of this lie that I've been told. So there's a danger element to this, but it is, to me, it is the only topic I can think of, right, social media, and the explosive growth of it, and the interconnectivity that has touched so many elements of our lives. You have athletes using it to communicate. Case of Trevor Bauer, you have athletes using it to bully a poor college girl online um, <laughs> for Twitter. Um, it's it is uh, it is both a blessing and a curse of our of our modern times, and it is the only thing that I can think of that touches all these other topics that we like to discuss: sports, entertainment, um, you know, geopolitical, military, you name it. Uh, it. It is touching all of these elements of everything we do society as a global population and um, it's fascinating to this goes. It is, it is. And I got to say a couple things about what you said there that uh, you were talking about Instagram. And uh, again, when you're talking about people becoming Instagram stars, I liken that too. The, the one thing that really seems to kind of straddle as far as how it's considered, whether traditional media or social media, is YouTube. I tend to consider YouTube social media because of, again, that, that's the parallel right there. The original content providers on YouTube, it works a lot like the original content providers on Instagram. Instagram is is almost all uh, original stuff. You, it doesn't have the uh, bootlegging and other things like that that YouTube does of recycling older programs, which I like to watch that type of stuff as well as the, the original stuff that's there. Some of this, I think, has to go to 2007, the year that the lounge came about. That summer, that was when the iPhone came out for the first time. So you've got that, the, uh, the, the, the whole thing with... Uh, you know, the smartphone generation, that ties in directly to this uh, very, very closely, almost in a parallel. I think also, too, when we were looking at topics for this, I just floated a few to you. I left it to you in the end, but uh, in case you needed any help on suggestions, one of the ones I came up with is because for as much as you and I have talked football, and we've got a pie chart on the uh, main 
uh, page of the site, which shows that football has actually been our number one topic over the last 12 years, even though we're the, the, the show where nothing is off topic. And I was talking about, you know, you could, could do like trends in how football has changed and the way we think about football in 12 years. Here's the funny thing. Even that's a subset of this because when you're talking about now the last two or three years the Sean McVay effect on the NFL what's that coming from there was an article I was reading recently I don't remember if it was the ringer or where it was but it was about NFL teams they're pulling stuff from like high school teams now like the exchange the free flow of ideas the free flow of information which is what social media is all about when you talk about there's a there's not a corner in American life that that hasn't influenced it's influenced the NFL. You might first think social media, oh, you must be talking about the players or other things like that. No, free flow of information. We're talking about game plans. We're talking about how you scout players, everything top to bottom. So you're right. Social media has affected every major institution and probably every minor one in the last 12 years. Yeah, I, I, don't, I can't think of anything that's, that's affected such a broad range of things in our lives um, than social media. And you're 100% right about football and sports in general. Um, and you're right about YouTube. I consider it a social media. In some ways, it was, you know, it was kind of an original social media. Yes. I mean, people made their own videos and uploaded them. It was YouTube. Right. Um, and and so, um, and you have people that are Instagram people that make YouTube videos and just connect you over to them. Um, you have that young boy whose father, was he eight years old? His father, um, his father he gets, he, what's it, what do I see? The kid made $80 million last year, something crazy. He reviews toys on YouTube, on his YouTube channel. Right. And he has so many kid followers and so much viewership and traction. I think somebody said, it, you know, crazy amount, like $80 million? Yeah. For some, I mean, some astronomical amount of money, some little child opening toys, reviewing them, and giving his kid opinion to other kids about a toy. I, that, to me, is just... Prior to social media, how is anything like that ever possible? You and right. I know as children growing up, our complete exposure to toys was the Sears catalog, going into Toys R Us, or KB in the mall, and maybe what your friends bought, you know, and you got to check out what they had, you know. I was in some random commercials on Saturday morning cartoons. That was our exposure to toys. Right. Big, big toy companies, Hasbro, everybody else, Mattel, they decided what we played with and you know now it's very organic you know these kids are like you know you got an eight-year-old kid talking to you know millions of other kids and says look at this kid's on the street he's talking to millions around the world and goes this toy's trash no good you're gonna see you know, toy companies desperate to have these kids approval well yeah <laughs> I mean, forget just not forget the youtube money now i'm the ceo at hasbro i'm like you put this kid on the payroll we're <laughs> promoting our toys i mean in all seriousness um, it, so, um, and I and I think that uh, you know this is the big change that we've seen. Where does you know where does social media go? How complex does this get? How buried like a tick on a dog does this become in our lives moving forward? Um, you know, I don't see it lessening. No, I I see it becoming more and more, um, more and more involved. Companies looking to. Uh, like Amazon and others looking to get more streamlined social media interactivity, uh, more connectivity. I look at more countries trying to affect the geopolitical landscape through social media, not less of it. Um, and then what I think we're going to see is now the great tug of war with governments is to be 
you know, we're going to come back to these First Amendment speech issues, which is, you know, is there an element, you know, there's not to be a discussion of, you know, the negative aspects of social media, the online bullying, the promotion of, you know, racism or something. You know, there's always a negative when you talk about human interaction beyond the positive. So I think the great debate in the next decade is going to be, are there limitations that society is going to start to place on this stuff? Be it the type of speech, um, is there going to be a race to regulate it in some way? Obviously, some governments are outright banning stuff, right? Right. Um, you know, on, on social media, China, famously, you have um, you have countries banning certain things. You had Saudi Arabia recently ban an, uh, an episode of a comedian's uh, uh, programming, and Amazon went along with it and self-censored, deleted something for people in that country to... To, to be able to view it because it was critical of the Saudi government. So you have corporations, which would be a foreign corporation, uh, you know, an American corporation operating in Saudi Multinationals, Arabia, yeah. Will, willingly committing censorship at the behest of a totalitarian regime. I think this is going to be the big struggle of this in the next decade, which is where are the limits? What are the corporate responsibilities? Where are the free speech elements? How you know? Are there obligations of an American company to say no to those types of things, or do they go along with the totalitarian regime and say, "Yeah, you bet, we'll ban whatever you want um, in chase of the almighty dollar, so that we our whole platform doesn't get banned in your country." Right. Um, this, I think, is going to be the big struggle of the next ten years, and I, you know, and also then it's you know, where is the where is where is the educated, the middle class, the bourgeois? You know, where are they on this? Do they start to rebel against their governments that are limiting their access? Do they follow along and, and they're okay with limitation? Does the United States government start to look at you know elements of censorship on the internet? Um, you know, there's been things that have you know that have come up, be it in this country like net neutrality or under Obama, the U.S. abdicating its authority over the entire internet structure. That we used to control the whole thing, and we gave that up, um, which I still think actually was a colossal mistake. Right. Um, but these things are going to impact what happens in the next decade, and the interaction between these governments, we have democracies, democracies or totalitarian regimes, are going to start to push and pull social media. We've seen what social media did with the Arab Spring, right? I right. Mean, that turned the middle. The social media, I didn't even mention that before. I mean, social media turned the Middle East upside down and, um, you know, it did it without, basically without firearms. And, and so you had regime change across the Middle East, good or for ill, um, it moved things. So I think that's going to be the struggle of the next 10 years is, do, you know, do the, the forces of free, you know, to, free total access and no limitation social media to win, or do we start to sort of self-censor? Do we start to have censorship creep in? Do we start to to uh, limit our speech um, on these platforms, uh, be it government or even corporations voluntarily doing so? Um, that, I think, is going to be the big struggle in the next 10 years as it relates to this earth-societally changing technology. Very interesting. And again, as far as uh, things that's helped bring about, let's not forget flash mobs also. Uh, certainly we've seen enough of that on 
YouTube and other places that uh, social media. I hope to never see another one. <laughs> has enabled. But this, I got to get. I don't need to see 100 people show up at a train station and start dancing. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I find them amusing, generally speaking. But I, well, I, to bring it this. It was kind of cute the first time I saw it. And then after that, I'm, you know, to me, it's like fireworks. Okay, I've seen it, I'm done. It, it is diminishing returns, generally. But to bring this all the way around, I will give you credit as far as looking ahead to the future because. Two of the innovations in this show over the last uh, decade, uh, two of the concepts we've had, you, you've been a very valuable curator of the FBH Lounge Pantheon as far as uh, helping determine the best of the best of all time in different fields here, as well as the February 29th time capsule, uh, where we look ahead uh, from one February 29th to the next one and make predictions for the next four years. And I remember in 2012, this is one of the more memorable predictions anybody made in terms of uh, the FDH Lounge, you were talking about, you expected from 2012 to 2016, the explosion of 3D printing. And I will tell you, for anybody that goes back and listens to that, like Nate Noy and I, like we couldn't wrap our heads around as we were going through this, like what it even was. We hadn't heard anything about it. I dare say most people hadn't as of February 2012. And uh, even in some places, it may still be a little bit under the surface, but you're seeing it move now to places like home building and things like that. So, I mean, as far as looking down the road, as far, I mean, you are probably the number one futurist in the FDH lounge out of all the dignitaries. So I got to give you credit for that. So the things you're saying, looking ahead with social media, people got to take that seriously. Yes. And, um, and I thank you. That was, um, you know, that was one of those sort of out of left field. I know, I, I know I kind of blindsided you guys with that one. Sure. But it was great. Um, you know, you can buy a 3D printer now at Sam's Club. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you can make stuff, um, and you know that's an interesting technology because you have now the next the next phase of it. And I think I mentioned this at the time that eventually you'll end up with medical where they're starting to three D print organs. Yep, um, that's closer than ever now. Uh, you have medical research, MIT, different you know different universities are now taking because of our advancements in, in genetics and DNA and things like CRISPR. You know, they are experimenting with the, you know, they're experimenting with using your own genes and your own DNA to grow, or rather, 3D print organs. So if Rick needs a kidney in the future, they will take your DNA, your genetics, and print you a new kidney. Damn. And then surgically insert it into you. Wow. Um, That's going to happen in our lifetimes, my friend. And uh, they're doing it now and experimenting on that with with uh, mice. They're working on 3D printing of skin for burn victims. Um, it is possible to take a biological substance and start to grow slash 3D print in rapid form um, through the manipulation of the, the DNA and the genetics and the biological material, you know, taking your stem cells and your blood platelets and I, I mean i don't even understand a lot of it but to then to be able to trigger those cells to start growing you that organ that you need um obviously these are things that are going to rapidly potentially change medicine and 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 health and the the life expectancy of people you know because rather than dying of an organ failure of a, I mean, maybe you need a new liver and you can't get a transplant um you know, they can grow one based on your own genetics. And 
you know, it's your own genetics. Your body's not going to reject it. You know, you don't need to have all these drugs that suppress your immune system and then make you vulnerable to infection in other areas where getting a cold could kill you. You know, it's your own DNA. Your body will welcome it in just like it, just as if it was, you know, it's always been there. So we're seeing these advancements now in these technologies. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know where it's all going, but I, 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 you know, I was thinking about for this segment the idea of, you know, what's what's next for the next decade, mm-hmm. and I was looking at things like, you know, these medical advancements, and I was wondering about it. Obviously, um, I was wondering about, I was thinking about um, AI, artificial intelligence, and the rapid advancements that we are making as a species with AI. You know, every major technology company, you name it, IBM, Facebook, Amazon, Google, everybody, Apple, has invested investing billions in AI. Right. It is the future. Um, and so the advancement of AI, the advancement of robotics, because now everybody has seen now the videos of the robot that can open the door. Well, the robot that can bounce, you know, from Boston Dynamics that can jump up boxes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, everybody has seen that. Um but I'm going to make a prognostication, and I don't know that it's a next 10 years thing. Maybe this is prototypes. But certainly, again, in our lifetimes. I think you are going to see, and I'm actually pretty confident, you're going to see a convergence of all these three technologies. You're going to see the convergence of robotics. You're going to see the convergence of AI. And you're going to see the convergence of the ability to grow or 3D print organic material and in our lifetime maybe for you and i closer towards the end of the lifetime the idea of science fiction of things like blade runner and replicants is going to be upon us hmm. because we are we're not we are down the road on all three of these things and it won't take much to now converge a biological on top of a robotic skeletal that sounds very terminator like right mm-hmm. um and then merged with the computing power of artificial intelligence. You know, recently there was a lot of discussion about how the the advancements in computing had slowed down. Um, the, the old law of like every X amount of years, the computing power doubles because right. of the, you know, the chip the chip infrastructure. They well, they recently made an advancement in architecture um, that allows sort of like a three D stacking of these things. Right. So they're able now, that, that time people had sped up yet again after slowing down for a few years. And so now with this new architecture for playing around chip makers, you know, they're looking at, we're looking at again an exponential increase in the ability and speed and capacity of chips. Wow. So you take the advancements in AI, computer pa- the computing power, the advancements in chips that's coming now through these new architectures, and the ability to grow, in essence, flesh, um, which includes eyes. Uh, things of that nature, and the advancements in things like neural wiring and neural networks and things of that nature. I'm here to tell you that in our lives, you will there will be humanoid. I'll call them replicants, just to steal a Blade, a Blade Runner reference. They there will be things that exist in our lives that are look human, act human, but they're not human because you're going to see a convergence of these three technologies. At some point, some company will merge these three and put them together, and there will be, quote-unquote, people walking amongst us that aren't people. Well, and to, and, t- to tie it in, you got to think social media is going to probably play a part in that, too, as that continues to get bigger. Oh, 
I think so. I think I believe that what AI will do, you have to give things personality, right? Right. It's going to access a lot of that stuff through social media. Hmm. You know, social media is the intel gathering right. on humans. If you're AI and you want to learn about humans, right? Right. <laughs> you, pull, you pull data and information from social media and you learn what it is to be human through, through that prism. So... I don't, you know, I have no immediate in the next four years prediction for you. I've got sort of a grander one, okay. which is we're going to see this emergence. And I think what we'll see initially, before we see people that have skin and things that are just like yours and mine growing in the laboratory, you know, you're going to see, you'll see robots that will initially be used um, as we have economic changes, you know, as the population ages and not everybody can go to a nursing home in our lifetimes for certain. You know, you'll have robots that'll help you around the house. It'll be a humanoid, you know, some sort of latex skin. And if you're an elderly person, instead of living alone, you know, your kids will buy you robot who will come in and talk to you all day long, who will help you with your chores, with heavy boxes. This is going to be a thing. That, this is how it'll start. There'll be uses around the house. Mm-hmm. You'll see it in the service sector. Um, you know, you'll see... Um, robots used for uh, uh, fire service. You'll see, you know, you'll see a fire crew, uh, you know, a fire truck usually has, you know, four four members as part of the crew. You know, three of them may be robots that are able to handle basic functions like, you know, moving hose and going into buildings, and you'll have one human, right? These robots. I think yeah. that's the first phase of how this will come about, uh, alleviating some of the, again, labor issues that we have in certain countries. You know, again, economics drives a lot of this. It does. And then as things get further advanced, you're going to see um, humanoids that advance further and further along that look like us and act like us, but they're not actually verved humans. They're going to be, in essence, just like in Blade Runner, you know, what they call replicants, where they're going to look and act and behave just like us. I, I just got to tell you, in the next 50 years, that's going to happen. Yeah. Around the path and the advancement of these different separate things that are currently in their own silos. Um, at some point are going to merge. And um, that, you know, where does that take society? How does that change us? I, boy, your guess is as good as mine. Well, you make a compelling case for it. And again, you know, throughout the areas of uh, the first 12 years of the FDH Lounge, uh, you have been intricately involved uh, probably in more areas than just about any other FDH Lounge uh, dignitary. I know that will be the case going forward. And I tell you what, one of the things you're putting in my head here as I'm just going to think out loud on this one, I'd like to put together a panel. I'd like to grab a futurist or two and have you as our in-house guy uh, to have a little panel on this. I think that would be uh, really crackerjack. That would be a great episode, and I would would love to be a part of that because, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that are doing a lot more deeper thinking on these issues than I am. Uh, But, uh, you know, that would be a fascinating topic. That would be tremendous. We'll have that to look forward to. Uh, but again, a show like this is supposed to celebrate everything that the FDH Lounge is all about. It's the show where nothing is off topic. It was the most ambitious scope that anybody could have set out for a show starting January fourteenth, two 2007. And uh, again, moving forward uh, through the 12 years and into the future. And like I said, you've been a huge part of this. And uh, I really appreciate it, my friend. Thank you so much for being here today and uh, breaking everything down for us. Thank you, Rick, for having me. Appreciate it, Chris, and uh, thank you everybody for checking this out, our FDH Lounge 12th Anniversary Special.
As we bring the show to a close, we would like to extend our deepest gratitude to NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, All Clear Channel Affiliates, TNT, TBS, USA, UPN, Deadspin.com, YouTube.com, YTMND.com, MySpace.com, various blogs, Fox News, CNN, CNBC, MSNBC, IAmBoard.com, Billboard.com, Google.com, ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN News, ESPN Classic, NBA TV, NFL Network, Sports Time Ohio. Athlon Magazine, Comedy Central, Cartoon Network, The Boomerang Channel, QBC, BET, The Spice Channel, Steno Notebooks, Manwich, Papermate Office Supplies, Waitresses, Strippers, Bartenders, Garbage Men, Janitors, Microwave Popcorn, The Writers of The Office, Scrubs, Entourage, My Name is Earl, Oz, Metalocalypse, and The Boondocks, Aquafina, and The Periodic Table of Elements.